Welcome to Where Wine Takes You, a wine podcast where we go deeper than just what's in the bottle, but what's behind it, the stories, the people, and the places that went into that bottle. The people may change, the stories may be varied, but the place, although diverse, is still the same. Paso Robles Wine Country. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. First, I'll say Wine Fest. Wow, what a ton of fun. A great success. Brand new venue. New venue who dis. A new feel. The weather was perfect. All the wineries and shaded tents had some of the winemakers on the air. On the Crush, that was a ton of fun. We had a lot of folks come by the Crush tent, say that they're loving the podcast. That was incredible. Just a great day in Paso Wine Country for Paso Wine Country. If you were not there, you better be there next year. Before we get into today's show, I want to encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet. It definitely helps us out. And you know what? would love for you to tell a friend about the pod. Just take it, hit that little square button, text it to someone. Someone who loves wine, who loves Paso, shoot, who just loves podcasts. We're just having so much fun with it, and it is great to have you along for the ride. So Urban Dictionary defines side hustle as a sideline that brings in cash, something other than your main job, maybe playing a weekend gig or life coaching. Selling Amway is not a side hustle. It's just a stupid way to alienate your friends. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty good. Again, it was Urban Dictionary, but you know all about what a side hustle is. Maybe you got one yourself. Today, we're talking to two exciting and talented winemakers who have very successful day jobs at world-class wineries, but also desired a little something more, something all their own. So they each came out with brands of their own. Now, obviously, their main job, it's their bread and butter. And like lots of folks with side hustles, you can't let anything get in the way of that. But that doesn't mean that they don't have as much heart invested into what they do on the side. Some of these winemakers, after a long day in the cellar, it's only then that they can even begin a long evening to pay attention to what they want to make on the side. Today, we're talking to Molly Longborg and Daniel Callen. Molly is the winemaker for Alta Kalina. Remember, we've had Maggie on before, and even Molly, for a few minutes, it was during Harvest, the first time we chatted about Alta Kalina. I've always liked Molly. She's super sweet incredibly talented, great gal to be around, obviously a very talented winemaker. So I'm thrilled we got her today. Also, we're going to meet Daniel Callen. He's the winemaker for Thatcher Winery. Now we had Sherman Thatcher on before. That was a great episode. We also featured Scott Holly of Torin in that one. And although I got a chance to really hang out with Daniel and really get to know him and like him, I've never had him on the air here. So I'm really, really excited because he is a smart dude who makes great wines. Both Daniel and Molly I found great wineries to call home now, and although both these brands were strong before they arrived, it's undeniable the benefit they have brought to their respective brands. Now, I show up at Alta Kalina. We got wines from both Alta Kalina, Thatcher, in addition to the wine that both these folks get to call their very own. We're going to learn all about their new brands, what they're called. You don't want to miss it. We come into the conversation. I'm actually taking a pick of Molly and Daniel with Molly's phone. Let's go. Give me that moonshine, we'll get by. We pass on down till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Alright, I'll send it to you. I know we hang out so often. So. I know, right? <laughs> do you really? You don't, or you do? What not, is the not enough? We don't hang out enough. Yeah, we live right next to each other. Do you really? Yeah. Is that the thing? Like you feel like you see people and you'll see them at events and you'll be like, oh, I don't see you enough. Like, and you get to catch up, but you really don't yeah. get to see these people enough. I know. For sure. Never. But it's not a bad couple of years for hanging out with people. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. For real, huh? That's very true. Cheers. Good to see you. You too. Look at this, Molly Longborg, one of my absolute faves. It's so good to hang out <laughs> with you. And then Daniel Callen from Thatcher, who I've never had on the show before. Even I don't think have I even interviewed you in the studio or anything. I don't think so. I think Mike Dawson interviewed us one time when you were on vacation with the uh, Quirk Dorks. Shut but, up. Uh, yeah. He did but, fill in for me yeah, one time. Yeah. That's awesome. And you came in the that's so great. Well, today is all about the idea of both winemakers. I mean, I taste, I've never tasted your alone, like your solo stuff, Daniel, but obviously what you're doing at Thatcher, I mean, you're doing some exciting things at Thatcher. Alta Kalina continues to just kick ass and take names and had Molly on, I mean, had Maggie on a few months ago with Riley. Can you yeah. imagine those two together? Oh, yes. Oh, many nights with yeah. those two together. Yes. <laughs> I bet if I threw you into that, we'd 
probably have even more laughs. It must be so fun. So um, I've always been interested in the idea of the winemaker who's obviously got like a day job. I mean, look at me. I do a radio show. I work for a company. I do my up and at them in the morning. I do my wine stuff. But then, you know, there's this podcast, which is something I get to do on the side that just has nothing to do with my radio stuff. Just pass the wine, which is so fun. You guys at different points decided to start your own brand. Now, Molly, you were at Halter Ranch, yep. which is, you know, you were the assistant winemaker for a long time there and very familiar with the program, making the wines there with Kevin. When in the process did we decide, hey, I want to do some Little Soul? Well, it was kind of funny because most of the places that I worked in my career were not proponents of having side projects. So Totally a subject I'm going to get into later, too, because I'm really interested in that. Yeah. And so I kind of, you know, never... I think when you're in college and you're kind of getting into wine and you always think, like, my dream is to have my own wine brand. And then once you kind of work in the industry for a while and you kind of learn the reality of what it takes, I think a lot of us realize that we love to make wine, but... When it comes down to actually selling wine, it's a whole other ball game. And so, and then just the like, I want to have my ish in a bottle yeah. with my label and my intent and dreams all put into the 750 milliliters. Yeah. But okay, we got to move this now. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's so fun, I think, to be able to have like complete creative control over something. Um, I was very lucky in both places that I've worked for the majority of my career now of having a lot of creative freedom over what we're making, even though I never own the brands. But when I came to Alta Kalina in 2020, I had also just a year prior moved onto a property in the Adelaide just right next to kind of sandwiched in between Halter, Tablas, and Thatcher. Um, and my husband and I manage a vineyard there. So we have about, there's about 15 acres. We just caretake the property. But we have this big vineyard, this one big block of Pinot that was really, really hard to sell each year. It's like Paso Pinot. I know. You know? And so I was like, ah, I don't know. And I kind of... But you're not far from like where it historically has been... It's true. ...done well. And, it is. you know, made a name since the late yeah. 60s. Yeah. But I still get it. I get it's what you it's warm. Yeah. And so we kind of had some extra fruit laying around the first year. Like I sold it all. And then the next year I was like, man, it'd be really fun to do something with this. Because walking out there, like, yes, there's a stigma with Paso Pino, but walking out, I mean, it's literally my backyard and seeing this beautiful clusters, not typical Pino. These are like bigger clusters, little bigger berries. I think it's a one of the old like growers clones. We don't actually have any data on it, but I just thought it would be make such a fun rosé or carbonic, which were two kind of styles of wine that I love. And so when I came to Alta in 2020, I asked Bob if he would ever be open to me making some of my own wine. And Bob's like, of course, yeah, sure. Do what you want, you know? So obviously I'm going to... I'm going to deduce that at the last place you were at, that wasn't that wasn't quite something no. that you wanted to do, or they would let you do or be happy with. Yeah, it just was never... That's why we see no wines from, say, Kevin Sass. Yes, really. yes. That's yeah. so interesting. Yeah. I've talked to people like this, and even like, I've seen people get kind of jaded at it, and like, when the owner doesn't let them kind of spread their wings in the way, I'm like, you don't want to lose this person. Yeah. You know, so like, okay, yeah, you can do it, but you can't, and there's, of course, there's a whole spectrum. It's not a black or white. There's right. a whole spectrum of, okay, you can do it, but not grapes that we make or not a right. wine that we make or you can do it but not here yeah but then there's some people that'll be like oh yeah take that corner puts your barrels there and yeah what's the situation here at Alta Kalina for you yeah and it was never like explicitly told me I couldn't do it at Halter but it was just you know not encouraged I'm sure if I really pushed I probably could have made it happen but I didn't really want to push you kind of got the climate of the culture. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, it also, as an assistant winemaker, if you see that Kevin's not doing it, right. it might not make sense to push. Yeah, exactly. And I get that. Yeah. And so here, completely different culture. I mean, Bob is just, you know, I think if he sees passion in anybody and he's so passionate about wine, he's like, roll with it. That's cool. And so I think he saw me getting kind of excited about this. And he said, of course, yeah, no problem. Um, our seller master, Andrew, has his own project here as well, Stoic. And um, yeah, so it's kind of, it's it's fun. And I think it was very open and I'm extremely lucky to have that opportunity here. Yeah, there's just a piece of like gratitude and heart that comes back to your owner yeah. when you're told something like that. Yeah. Because also there's like a little bit of trust too. It's like, okay, they trust me. They know that I got their brand at the forefront of my mind. Yes. But I just want... So it's a, it's a really nice... like It implies a lot when when this agreement can happen peacefully. Definitely. And I, cool. I feel like I'm always, you know, are you sure you're okay with this? Can I right. do this? And Bob's always... You know, Bob and Maggie both are just so supportive of me. Yeah. And so I feel just beyond grateful. The first time I tasted your wines, it was... Um, 
Finca. Okay. And I think it might even be this one. Is mm-hmm. this the one that they've brought in there? Um, well, it's probably been the, the wine merchant. Oh, okay. They brought it. Yes. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Good wine call. merchant has both of them, the carbonic and the rosé, but they might be sold out of the rosé. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. They're the only wholesale account that have my wine. Oh, okay. Then that's who it was then. Yeah. So I had them both in the room. I had Finca and I had the folks from Paso Wine Merchant. Yeah. And that's that place is burning up right now. Huh? I know. Super hot. And it's so fun because Julie and I work together at Halter as well. So. That's right. Yeah. She mentioned that. And Shelby. Right. So, it's fun. So Daniel met you when we did a show with with Sherman at Thatcher and you've been making the wines there for how long? I've been in there almost a decade now. Wow. Yeah, this will be my 10th harvest coming up. You guys are really coming out with some really fun things that are just like home runs. Yeah, it's been a good ride and uh, Sherman's been an amazing boss and guy to work for and um, I think oftentimes people see my tenure at Thatcher and they think I've obviously brought a lot of new ideas and things like that but it actually hasn't always worked out that way um in reality sherman's actually much more experimental and and is that right i think so i think um you know for a long time i was working two or three harvests a year so i was able to get my heart you know my need for experimentation out through other outlets Um, what do you mean two three harvests here like you're going to like the other hemisphere yeah i harvest hopped a lot i worked australia new zealand yeah south africa became a sort of home away from home so i did four vintages down there um yeah and so just me going seeing all these crazy things and you know learning new techniques picking up new skill sets and talking to sherman about them through email or whatever and we'd come back and uh at harvest we'd be you know he would be super amped up and willing to implement new things i mean he's living vicariously through you yeah a little bit i mean even (laughs) the first year i worked at thatcher um back in 2013 you know i came and he said well is there anything you really want to do this year and i was like well i've always been interested in wild fermentations and would you mind if we did like a wild ferment and you know at the time everything was inoculated and uh he was like yeah we'll give it a shot and then we've never opened a packet of yeast since then no way i mean totally flipped the switch and we went for the whole brand for the whole brand that's exciting yeah i mean and everything oh that, the uh, shirt what's the you shirt you gotta say? see daniel's shirt or daniel's <laughs> tank top yeast feast the yeast feast <laughs> that's great i love that yeah, I have a habit of wearing my clothes until they fall off my body. But I think this is a, a Harvest t-shirt from 2015. Is that uh, rock and roll, bro? Yeah. Um, this uh, Chenin Blanc. Yeah. Own-rooted, beautiful wine. Thank you. So this uh, we started working with this vineyard back in 2017 at Thatcher. And uh, at the time, I just come off my last harvest in South Africa where I was working for a producer. And all we made was old bush vine Chenin Blanc. And Sherman was sort of like... Uh, you know, if you if you want to make some Shannon here in America, all you have to do is find some, and and we'll bring it in. and And so we were out. I found an old vineyard uh, out in the the Highlands district. We went out and kicked the dirt with the farmer, and and pulled in a little bit of Shannon Blanc. And while we were out there, he was sort of like, uh, you know, I also have a couple acres of Valdegay in the back corner. Really? And, and these are old school, you know, and this is cool because Highlands District, for someone who doesn't know, one of the 11 right. sub-AVAs of Paso, maybe the only one that doesn't have a tasting room on it. Oh, I mean, the least populated yeah. part of Paso. And, right. I mean, there's not that many vineyards, actually. I, mean, I think you got, like, what, like Camp 4? Uh, French Camp. French and, Camp, yeah. sorry, which is the Millers. Right, and then Show Creek. And yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, but it was funny, there was a lot of Chenin Blanc, and I hear people say that, that back in the day, Paso had a good amount of Chenin Blanc. Yeah. We probably all ripped it up for Chard or something, but... Exactly, yeah. And so that that kind of, between the Chenin and the Val de Gay, and we can talk more about that later, but that sort of informed, you know, has put me on a certain trajectory, uncovering old, forgotten grape varieties that were once really important and uh which i sort of felt a need to to work with and help preserve in a way and so that ultimately became became slam dance cooperative wines which uh, is your brand which is my own brand so yeah. what are the, what's the main difference between shannon and valdegay uh well so shannon, pretty similar right or oh vouvray yeah, yeah, yeah that's what yeah, shannon, yeah, okay. okay like when you see vouvray on the menu that means shannon right okay so i'm just kind of mixed up i'm no. molly's shaking her head like no <laughs> idiot no what are you talking about bro <laughs> She's so sweet. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Did you know what I was thinking, though? Yeah. (laughs) You were close. Close. I'm kind of close, yeah. But that's why, you know, I'm the cork dork. I'm the idiot. That's why you guys are the smart ones. So, 
what do you call it? Slam Dance Cooperative? Cooperative, yeah. But it's uh, spelled in the Afrikaans way, which uh, is pretty cool. kind of a throwback to my time in South yeah. Africa. And then, uh, yeah, K-O-O. What do you call the O with the dots on it? The is umlaut? It umlaut, yeah. Umlaut, okay. And then um, Alta Kalina, of course, for Maggie. And then... Molly, nice try. What'd I say? <laughs> Maggie. I said... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, and then, of course, today um, on the podcast, Bouvray and Maggie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Little Soul uh, for Molly. When did you first want to get into something and you've been there for a long time? What was that conversation like when you first kind of brought to Sherman, like, hey, Sherman, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? Well, it's, you know, it was a long time coming. When I was, you know, when I was doing multiple harvests a year, I didn't really have the time and certainly not the resources to dedicate to my own side project. So I was just kind of going around learning as much as I could and, uh, by 2017, the guy who I was working for in South Africa, uh, you know, we'd take these long trip rides together to get grapes and things, and we started talking about heritage grapes, and, you know, he was lamenting all the Chenin Blanc that had been torn out in his country to plant to Savion Blanc, and he had a friend up in Napa who uh, had an old Valdegay vineyard, which is how I first heard about Valdegay. But, uh, you know, I... I realized you only really get one shot to come out of the gate, and if the wine's not really good, it's like Eminem said, "Bro, yeah, no, exactly, <laughs> right, exactly." And you know, we're all bobbing our heads. Like we can all hear the song in our heads. And it was something I learned at Thatcher as well. Is you know, as our style has changed over the years, you know, you learn like big ships turn slow, and it takes a long time when you have inventory and you know it takes you two years to bring a wine to market and it's change comes slow and it comes hard so i didn't want to spend 10 years like course correcting if i came out on the wrong trajectory so um, i really took my time and i mean i sat on this idea for five years i have like a map in my bedroom of all the vineyard sites i wanted to use in growers and contact info for your brand for my let me ask you something very frankly your first vintage 2020 Mm -hmm. 19 was just like badass vintage. Yeah. Do you wish you started a year earlier? 2020 was a just kind of a vintage for a lot of people. I, for a lot of people it was, but you know, the funny thing is, you know, between smoke and everything out, I, I know I, I know a lot of people had problems. I mean, heat waves are bad, but these grapes, these old indigenous grapes, and they're not indigenous, but they're the close closest things we have to native grapes in California. Um, I mean, they get ripe pretty early and that and I think the plants know, like, get your fruit ripe early, get it off, because it's a long season. And if you're trying to carry fruit into, you know, October, November, it's really stressful on the plant. So all of these grapes came in first week in September, and, you know, I, I missed most of the problems. That I can't wait to get to your wines. We're on our second oh. now. It's, I can't wait yeah. to get to yours, because we just have one right now. You only have one wine you've made. Yeah. And that was a thing as well. You know, it's it's three grapes, so it's a it's a blend, a cuvee. But uh, and I could have split it up into, th- you know, three different wines, fifty case lots, and they probably would have been easier to sell that way. You know, everyone would have bought one bottle. But uh, <laughs> for me, there's only so much wine. I needed to make like a critical mass of it, and just you know, I want to reach as many people as possible. How much did you make? It's 150 cases, 155 cases. So. And how much are we selling it for? Uh, it's retail, uh, 42 bucks a bottle. Um, and then I don't sell any of it myself. I just, you know, between the day job at Thatcher and the, uh, rigor of doing my own compliance and wine making at night and bottling at night. I mean, this has all been, it was hand bottled and also therefore hand labeled. So like when I get an order, I have to sit down at night and spend two or right. three hours labeling every single bottle. So, so is it, I mean, like she touched on this earlier, the yeah. idea of, Okay, now we got to sell this stuff. Right. Has it been tough? I mean, obviously, you have a lot of people who love what you're doing at Thatcher. They like you a lot. I mean, when you have that first one, it's just got to feel so cool to finally see it in the bottle, but then it's like you got to move it. Right. And I got very lucky. I, uh, a young woman named uh, Britta Roberts came to visit me June after, after the 20, you know, so June of 2021. And she was working for Bodega de Edgar at the time, and uh, she was branching out on her own to start her own small distribution company that she was going to call Work Street Wines. And we met and really hit it off. And, uh, you know, we've, we stayed in contact after that. And when her license cleared and I got my wine into bottle, I mean, she was like, yeah, I can sell all your wine. And so, uh, 
So she hit the pavement. It's got your wine on her book, and yeah. And so I mean, that. she started selling the wine. And she gets to say, "Yeah, I got the winemaker from right. Thatcher's new wine." Right, right. So it's really cool to be like, "Oh, Molly Longborg. Oh yeah, she's the one making the wine. Oh, I remember her from. Oh my God, yeah. You know what I mean? And then, right. This is her side brand. Right. So this next one, this is um, Molly's wine, Little Soul. It's yeah. a Grenache rosé. Talk about this one, Molly. Yeah. So uh, my brand name, Little Soul, came because my daughter's name is Alma, which means soul in it's Spanish. It's really cute. And yeah, when she was. Uh, five and a half months old. We had her at the end of June. My husband's a viticulturalist at Talbot's Creek. Jordan, you know him. Mm-hmm. Um, so we like I had to go back to harvest, and I hadn't didn't wasn't even able to use all my PFL, my paid family leave. And Jordy saved some of his too. So when she was five and a half months old, we decided to baby bond on the beach in Oaxaca. So we took her down to Oaxaca for a month. And the, one of the first spots we got to, you know, they love little babies down there, yeah. little squishy babies. Um, and at the time, her hair had molted into like a mohawk and a mullet. So she I had a hocket. Yeah. So it was, it was an epic look in Alma's life. Um, but the first spot we stayed at, you know, they saw her and immediately just started calling her Almita, you know, which means little soul. And I was like, oh, that's so cute. So her nickname has just become Almita. That's and so, so when I was going to make a wine brand, I'm like, oh my gosh. I was like, do I call it Almita, Alma? I'm like, it's just a little too obvious. And so we went with Little Soul. And what you're trying right now is the Grenache Rosé. The label on the front is a classic, well... I got this because we were walking down the street in Oaxaca City, uh, down the cobblestone street, pushing a crappy little stroller, which oh, was no. hilarious, and stumbled into the shop, and they had this print, and it's this, uh, it's called El Baracho. I it almost looks like a toddler Dia, Dia de los Muertos yeah. kind of style, black and white, sketched out. He's wearing like almost like a, like a Huckleberry Finn hat. Yeah. But he's got, I mean, he, he's it's, got this full on adult facial hair mustache thing it looks it's pretty badass he's definitely like a drunken skeleton yes you know but but he looks little to me yeah i I don't know when when you call it with the all but he's got that bottle of tequila yeah true i guess he's got to be 21 (laughs) or 18 benjamin button disease yeah Yeah. um but we found this little piece of artwork and i just fell in love with it and so i got it for 25 pesos so two dollars and fifty cents oh my gosh um so i call this wine 25 because that means 25 (laughs) in spanish um, but this has been a picture hanging on our wall. So when I wanted to make the rosé, I thought, what am I going to use for the label? And so this is what that became. And then it was actually super cool. I just love Instagram and social media for reasons like this. But a woman contacted me to tell me the whole history behind this picture. And it was super special. And she she found my wine somehow and was really excited because her grandfather used to kind of have these pictures all over his shop. And so it's this famous Mexican political illustrator. Wow. Um, yeah. And so this is one of his pieces called El Borracho. And so super fun. Were you able to use it? You were able to use it free and clear kind of thing? Yeah. I think it's just one of those... Um, public domain. Public domain. Thank you. Oh, cool. <laughs> I, I love that. I mean, I hope it is. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> also, when I talked to her about it, she's like, I'm pretty sure it's public domain. Right, yeah. Um, so, yeah, anyways, it's become our label here. And, yeah, so my project is actually supposed to be Pinot Noir from our property that we live on was the original plan. That was my first vintage in 2020, making a Rosanna Carbonic. This, Both of you started in 20. Yeah. And then... Yeah. <laughs> Better than 19. A yeah. Weird, a weird just, vintage. Just, <laughs> just to clarify. Yeah, right. Yeah, we'll just put that out there. Um, I love it. But, it, you know, we do sell... It's a large block. We normally get 9 to 10 tons out of the block. But in 21, there was a late May frost that got a lot of people. And we did get the lower part of that block had some frost. So we knew we were going to be light, but we didn't know how light. And Jason from Calcareous buys the fruit for a rosé as well. And he's contracted for six tons. And I, I just take one and a half tons. I make a very small amount of wine. Again. Which is maybe like three barrels. Yeah, not wanting to sell the wine. Yeah. Daniel and I are very different. It's like really fun because we get along really well and we've known each other forever. But there's like, as we both talk, I'm just, it even like keeps reminding me of the differences. Like he's all wholesale and I'm all direct. I know. You know, and like, it's just, it's just fun. I, I now, like let's, this. Let's, let's tackle that because are you all wholesale just because you don't have the time to move your wine for yourself? And it's a lot of infrastructure as well. I mean, if you go down the route of trying to like hand sew every bottle, I mean, it gets really tough and time consuming. But you make more money at it, right? I mean, Molly, direct to consumer, you're going to do a little better. Yeah. But, you know, for me, 
if I sell my wine to my distributor, who's a small independent distributor, and then she goes to sell it in the wine shop, and then they sell it to, you know, the consumers out in the public, that's several of my good friends and several small local businesses that can then make money off the product. This really is a really interesting trial of the growth of both of you. Yeah. You guys will both start in 20, both with different models, and I'm curious which one and how they both grow. Oh, we're both going to be I, super successful. I really successful. hope both. Yeah. I know, because you guys are both very talented. really good friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think that's really cool because it, it's so interesting and, you know, and it serves you. you you're structure serves you and, and yours serves you. And, and also, Molly. like as a note, I make less wine, so it's mm. less to sell. <laughs> yeah. How much did you say you're making? As well. 155 cases, I think. All right. Yeah. Try to do like my public school math on that it's, one. Uh, I think it was so, about 1,800 bottles. Or okay, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. About three tens, probably. Yeah, okay, that's what I was thinking. I was, that's the conversion about I was trying to do. About three tens? Usually it's around 50, 60 cases a ton. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. that's about right. Because my 20, I did one and a half tons. And then the story I was kind of telling when I, for, I we got distracted there, but was pretty much the frost hit our block oh, pretty hard. Oh, please continue. And then, I've never gotten distracted before. I'm so no, sorry. No, no, no. No, it just ties into it because the, the frost hit our block. And so I... Like I was going to harvest on Tuesday. We were picking for Jason on Thursday and he was supposed to get six tons. We harvested the whole block was 5.4. So all of a sudden I had no fruit. Mm. And so I was just like scrambling. So the Grenache from this is actually farmed by my good friend, Jimmy Hall. Um, and it's on my old driveway, which is um, where the Adelaide schoolhouse is. So way off of Chimney Rock Road. And these are huge really awesome old dry farmed organic vines um so my whole thing is i really want organic fruit um it doesn't have to be certified but our vineyard that we farm you just got to trust the people's intent and yeah when when molly lomborg is scrambling i mean you have so many connections (laughs) and you're so well loved like you're very well no a lot of people really (laughs) like you and like they really respect your what you're you know what you do so is it just a couple phone calls we probably hit that pretty quick right? i mean i was pretty lucky because again like I, the fruit was gone on thursday and i was still able to make my project happen within a week so wow. i felt super lucky so but my thing was i couldn't find paso pino i'm like how am i gonna find more no. paso pino because yeah. i really wanted to do something different like here at alta Colina, we're all roan wines it's like, do and i call hdr do i call mark right you right know? exactly <laughs> and, and, the doors like, are closed. and i love roan wines but i also didn't want to do anything that competitive with my day job and if I'm going to make something I want to respect the wines here as well mm-hmm. and so I the Grenache is really the only other fruit that I would like for rosé and, and um, carbonic and so yeah anyways I went with um, Grenache on this so I was really lucky Jimmy got me that Grenache and then I got super stoked I actually was able to reach back out to Jason someone told me he had a Pinot vineyard on York Mountain whoa so now we're talking and yeah and so I got super lucky and he carved me out one ton of Pinot from the Carver vineyard which you literally drive through Epic's vineyard yeah um it's kind of a fun fact a Paso fact I guess the top of the hill there's a big uh, madrone tree and that's where Neil Collins got the name of his wine for Lone Lone Madrone. Madrone. And so the Pinot's at the very bottom of that hill. So it's not organic, but it is dry farmed. And so that made me happy. So again, (laughs) hitting back that York Mountain, we're talking about the far west side. I mean, it's really its own AVA. So, But it's it's the way to the west of anything else in the Paso AVA. And you are starting to see some more people. First of all, it's becoming a real cool kids AVA now. Yeah. When you see the people that have been playing there from, you know, Epic to Justin Smith, Anthony. Yeah. I mean, like, it's incredible. So you get some Pinot from up there. Yeah, so that's actually what I got for my carbonic Good for this you. year. And it's it's Boomba. I'm yeah. excited. Oh my god, that's yeah. so cool. I'm excited for you. We got the little soul Grenache that we just finished up now. Here is the pet net. Now this is a pet net. This is literally alive. I mean the bubbles have not stopped the whole time. It's been all the way open and like we were talking a little bit off the air i remember some of my favorites from you know scar of the sea or um you know signer of the valley petnat can be a real beast and we just the last episode we tasted joe barton's and yeah and uh, brad's first yeah petnat which was really exciting um, why is it tough and 
but why is it still something we still just want to do more of? <laughs> no, and Daniel can speak to this too because he makes a great pet nut as well. Um, you know, I think as winemakers, again, when we've been in this in a decade plus, um, we're constantly wanting to experiment and try new things. And so a wine like Pet Nut is just kind of full of experimentation. It's a it's a quick to market sparkling, but rather than you know create making a base wine and then adding sugar and then adding yeast, we're just doing it in the most natural way possible. So during that primary fermentation, as the yeast is converting that sugar to alcohol, we just bottle it at at a certain point. And as the yeast finishes converting, hopefully converting the rest of the sugar and making the wine dry, it will um, carbonate the wine. And so, you know, there's been a lot of mistakes. It's something that you have to bottle in the middle of harvest. So bottling outside of harvest, well, bottling is probably the most stressful thing I think that as winemakers we do. Harvest is stressful, but in a different way. Um, bottling is just where everything can go wrong. And so to try and take a break in the middle of busy harvest and to time it, to have enough hands around and you have to hit it like right when this wine is at, like fermenting at a certain grams per liter of sugar and you have to have all, everything ready to go. And then you're just like, go time. Okay, we need all hands on deck. It's time to bottle. And you know, it's just things can go wrong and but it's so fun i mean you try this wine it's like watermelon juice you know yeah yeah <laughs> lots of trials and tribulations but a lot of trial and error right when you're making pet yeah. nut how does it work for you daniel yeah pet nut's been uh you know it's sort of poor man's <laughs> champagne or uh whatever you want to call it but Yummy. uh really fun to make at least theoretically it does become <laughs> challenging because yeah as molly said you know you have to nail your bottling time and usually that bottling time is at like three o'clock in the morning so uh (laughs) which when you're already sleep deprived in the middle of harvest is uh makes you it can make you resent it a little bit and then it's always a little bit cloudy you know you never know if your your sugar is going to ferment all the way out so it is you as winemakers where we spend like a whole year tending and maybe two years or maybe longer tending to a wine making it ready for bottle to just bottle something up and then that's it there's no like nurturing there's no babying there's no fixing mistakes it's just it is what it is i mean it's a very different type of winemaking um but i think you know as we're such a young region here in paso like we're still figuring things out and we almost have responsibility to try these you know different grapes different techniques different making different wines because uh i mean that's if that's the only way we're going to figure out how what really works here is if we keep pushing yeah. forward boundaries like that. When so. you find out, or, or when you have a bottle, let's say it's got some cloudiness, but yeah. it just tastes like watermelon sugar. You know what I mean? You know, I don't mean sugar in the bag, but I yeah. mean like you know, like the Harry Styles song. Like it just tastes like oh, right. you know yes. what I mean? Right. Just like the essence of life. You just love it. Then I don't know. Then you're like cloudiness, be damned, right? Exactly. And you know what? Just a little. Just read Daniel's tank top. It's a yeast feast. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you got a little more yeast. You got a little more protein in We all need right. probiotics anyway. Exactly. So. It's just going to help you. What is the... Um, and we're going to get into... Uh, the Slam Dance wine after this next one that we're pouring. This is Little Soul. This is the Carbonic Pinot Noir. But I'm curious, Molly, where do you see? Do you have like a five-year plan? You're like, hey, let's just do this, yeah. this? Or what do you no, think? No, I, I want to keep crafting this wine because it's it's exactly what I like to drink. Yeah. You know, I like to drink rosé and I like to drink carbonic wines. I like low-alcohol red wines that Were you worried being a like a, a really esteemed winemaker here? but you're putting Pinot in a bottle from Paso. Were you worried, like, I'm going to have to explain this, or people are just going to get it because they know me, they know that I wouldn't do it if it didn't work? I mean, if I was trying to make a red Pinot, then for sure I would be probably self-conscious, but I'm not. I'm doing carbonic. It's yeah. a different style of winemaking completely. For someone who doesn't get it, break it down. Yeah, so, you know, typical red wine, again, we either de-stem or go whole cluster, but you're constantly moving the juice over those skins, right? The skin is where we get all of our colors and flavors out of, and so, you know, when you hear terms that we pump over or punch down the tanks, and so you're really moving the fruit a lot um, to extract those colors and flavors. Uh, usually have a lot of oxygen, you can inoculate with yeast. You can let the native yeast go for it. Um, at Alta, we're native as well, just like Daniel was talking about. 
Um, but carbonic is totally different. So carbonic does not mean a carbonated wine. No. It's a style of winemaking. And the carbonic maceration is most commonly associated with Beaujolais. So Beaujolais Nouveau is 100% carbonic. Um, the pr- Most Beaujolais wines are a partial carbonic fermentation or maceration. And so what it is, is it's a fermentation that occurs in the absence of oxygen. And so to make a wine, you pretty much take the whole clusters and you just layer them in a tank or in my case I don't have tanks so I just put them in a bin with dry ice with dry ice and then I which wrap- is just frozen it's just CO2 emitting yeah, all the time exactly it's just kind of melting out CO2 and then wrap the whole thing in plastic wrap if you're in a tank you can seal it up and at first it actually starts with an enzymatic reaction that occurs inside the berry and then that will cause the berry to slightly break open and then the native yeast will just take over and it'll start fermenting so it's really fun. I usually, this wine I sealed up for four weeks, so a full month. Um, usually I'm somewhere in that three to four week range. Um, I will open them once or twice during that time just to kind of put my nose in there, make sure that nothing's going off and that everything's, you know, smelling right. And it's so fun. You pop one of those berries in your mouth and it's literally a sparkling berry. No way, really? Yeah. So that fermentation is happening inside the berry. And so you get... Much less extraction, um, and then you get a very different flavor profile. So good. And for both of these wines, I pick them early. So, you know, they're all picked, you know, around 21 bricks. So they're both, you know, sub 14% alcohol. As Mark Goldberg called you to thank you. <laughs> for continuing the the reputation of Pinot Noir and making it cool here in Paso. He has not. But I did reach out to him when I had no fruit. Has he tasted this yet? No. He's got to taste this. I don't know him personally. Oh, I do. I'm going to bring a bottle. I'm going to buy a bottle of yours and bring it to him because he needs to try this. Uh, Daniel, what do you think of this carbonic Pinot Noir? It's super tasty. And I love, you know, even though it's carbonic Pinot and we think it, it, like it has this great weight, great texture. Aromatics are banging on it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is right up my alley. This is exactly the sort of wine I like to drink. <laughs> this is so. this is like we're Paso, and you know, it, it kind of takes that whole like renegade thing that Stefan was doing, or that this person was doing, you know, decades ago, and how they're putting their own blends together. And this is like the new school way. This is two point oh, three point oh, doing that. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's really neat, Molly. I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And, and Daniel makes awesome carbonic as well. And I make carbonic for Alta Kalina as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that the one thing, when it, you know, Daniel, I was just talking about the differences between our wine brands, but I think one of the main similarities is that our goal for both of us is to get our wines out to as many people as possible. So, like, I sell my wines. It's I haven't released this vintage yet except for at the wine merchant. Um, but it's $30 a bottle or $300 a case mix and match. So I just want to sell the wine and get it to as many people as possible. That's- Team up with your friends, you know, like go in on a case. And... Um, and so, like, you were asking me about my business, my five-year plan. Right. My plan is to keep this very, very small, one and a half to two tons of fruit. So, literally making my rosé at 30 or 40 cases and the carbonic around 60 or 80 cases. And ideally, just pre-selling it all. You know, having enough people where I can put out, put a shout-out in December or January and say, hey, here's my bottling date. Who wants in? And but what kind if, of- like, an ember wants to come to you and says, man, I want some of this in my, in my restaurant? <laughs> Are you down? for that or do well you, if you, it's brian of course right see I mean, that's what i'm saying you, know, like, like, so, and, and you keep like, some aside and like julie and justin at the wine merchant they're very good and shelby they're very good friends of mine right so of course i'm going to save them some you know troy at van 13 has been asking for some of the carbonic he was probably one of my he was a very early <laughs> supporter of the carbonic um so they'll be they'll always be a little bit set aside for my special people in my life that want to carry it in the world yeah that's cool. um but yeah so i think we're both trying to get the wine out to as many people as possible we're just taking different avenues yeah you don't want it to be something that you've heard of but never had the opportunity to cha- taste you know right. it's um are you even old enough molly to know what's on the front of your label oh my gosh of course i am <laughs> that's a boom box okay that's I, a cassette boom box a ghetto blaster yes. that's a ghetto blaster that's like what okay. i used to record my voice on when i was a kid <laughs> pretending yeah. i was on the radio when i was Dude, like 12 literally i'm i i'm kicking myself because i didn't save from high school i had one of those like suitcases that you undo that holds all your cassette tapes oh my god i know what you're talking about oh yeah 
I mean, we used to tape over the edges of the tape so that you could put it in. And then when you were listening to the radio, you'd hit record yeah. and you could like record your song. Uh-huh. That's so good. Oh, my God. I love that. Oh, yeah. So this is really special to me, the picture on here. I call this the old school. Um, it's I call this wine old school, which is kind of a nod to Beaujolais. But it's also one of my best friends from growing up did this as a wood carving. Wow. Um, and so you can't see what we're talking about, but it's an old boom box and you can kind of tell it's on a guy's shoulder. Which well, like is when you see the wood carving the and then you would paint the ink on it and then it prints. St- yeah. Kind of like the old chronic. The exactly. Old chronic yeah. yeah. And That's so a really she, cool form of art. She gave me, she did this. She like randomly took a wood carving, wood block carving class in college and gave me a print. It's wow. been, hang, it's been above my record player forever. And I so said, good. if I ever do a wine, this is going to be my wine. No label. way. Yeah. So I, I Has haven't she seen it. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. She got a case, a of case co- of each wine right. for giving me her picture. That's so cool. And one right? of these days I'll, I'll be able to afford embossing and make it look really cool. But yeah, it was cool. a little expensive for my first. That would be vintages. cool because then you could just throw a paint on it and roll it yeah. onto paper Ooh. and you could actually, oh, anyone shoot. could make I it could make you a tank top. <laughs> I love a good tank top. You know how much I. You'll wear it forever. You know how much I hate sleeves. Exactly. <laughs> I know. I would be honored. So I just poured the slam dance. I don't know who has that or who needs that. I think you need that. Take a little. Mr. Daniel. I definitely da- need it. Daniel drinking his wine. Molly's got the Slam Dance. Slam Dance Cooperative Wines. What was like a Riesling bottle? What is it? It's like this beautiful, like old world kind of thin frame bottle. Yeah, so the bottle is a shape that they used to call California Hawk. And it's not green. Right. And I love that. So that amber color was the first UV resistant color developed in for glass. And before modern glass making like this was your option for color and so this is like a very historic bottle it's like the shape and the color that would have been used in the 1800s and the whole my whole concept behind this one is i'm only using grape varieties and clones that were in america before prohibition began so i really want this wine to be like essentially a historical artifact i mean everything the way it was made uh the grape varieties it's all a throwback to the earliest history of winemaking in California because, you know, one of our things here in Paso is we move very quickly and we, you know, we tend to shift personalities very quickly and, you know, we're doing the Rhone Revolution one minute and then, you know, Luxury <laughs> Cabernet the next minute and um, Zinfandel the next. And so I was a little bit frustrated and I just, I wanted to like, I wanted to know what wines from my region might have tasted like a hundred years ago and and i didn't really have any examples so i sort of had to set out to try and make it myself in a way so the the three grape varieties are what we used to call black malvasia napa gamay and uh, pinot saint george um today we know them the ttb recognizes them as cinso val de gay and negret and because they don't recognize them i don't put the the names on the label it's just uh you know, at the back of the label is a, a map of California, and it's a it indicates where the vineyards are, and there's a portrait of each grower, because um, those are the really important people is the growers. And then there's the ampelography and, and grape cluster morphology of, of each of the grapes. So if you're a hardcore viticulture nerd, you can figure out what's in here, but otherwise... Uh, I like that, because the last time I was... Um, I've seen that kind of focus... What is it called on the leaf? Ampelography. Ampelography. Amp, say it again? Ampelography. Ampelography. Last time I talked about ampelography was with Ken Volk. Oh, oh yeah. yes. Who's got oh, books yes. and books. Oh, I mean, yeah. even just the table Kenny. that I, yeah, I mean, Kenny's got books and books of ampelography. And he's like. So it's funny because the, the negret that's in here, it's only in the ground because of Kenny Volk. No and way. It's one of his old vineyards. Yeah. Great interview. If you haven't heard that one on the podcast, that's a, that's a prized one. He's a legend. You yeah. Know? Kenny sure. Volk. So Daniel, are you making your wines at Thatcher? Yeah, Sherman's been kind enough to let me use a little bit of solar space equipment, you know, electricity, all of that good stuff. And it's got to really help. Oh, I mean, the reality is I would not be able to do it if it was on my own. And you know, um, when I was sort of going out and talking to people, there were a lot of people were just like, "You need to raise your prices immediately because you'll never make it that way." And how much is your? We were, yeah, how much was your bottle? Uh, it runs for forty two yeah. retail, but you know I'm, oh, right, I'm right, distributing right. everything, so it's I, you know everyone else makes their cut as well. Exactly, so, uh, I make about half that. Right, but uh, that's half the wine's fantastic. Thanks, thanks. That's super cool. That you I mean now have you made wines 
of your own ilk that you did not put a label on. This literally was the first one. This is the first one. I saved it all up for this. How Now, I know you talked about how much you researched for it and wanted yeah. to dial it in. How happy with, you know, you think about an artist with their first song and there's some, oh, yeah, I like it, but, oh, man. Like, are there any kind of, are there any little anxieties over it at all? I have no anxieties about this one. I mean, it's... I'm very pleased with it. I know in five years it's still going to be in really good shape. And, uh, you know, I will say that the 2021 vintage was... I know a lot of people had difficulties with that, just long, slow growing year. But, I mean, I think those will be the best ones that we've met at Thatcher in a long time. And Even I, more than 19s? I think so. I think really? So. I think... Juxtapose those vintages, 19 and 21. Because you hear some vintages, look, I think back to like 12, 13, 14. Then you're like, God, 15, 16. Right, right. You know, then you look at even like, like Chateauneuf, 15, 16. Right. I mean, then you're like, oh, 19. You know, I mean, like 19 yeah. was a crazy year. It was a great year. Uh, what is it about 21 that's so special? It, 21 was the first time since I've been in Paso where I could go out and sample a vineyard and see where the bricks were at and didn't feel immediately pressured to pick like things just moved so slowly and predictably we were just able to nail every single pick coming that's through. so cool acids are insane nothing forced your hand nothing forced which is very different from 2020 yeah sure quite even 2019 well look even you look at years like 17 where there's right. like heat spikes that right. people panic pick or you right. know what i mean like there's things that happen that can force your hand i mean california september well, that's our hottest month right Right. Statistically, yeah, you know, so things can get pretty gnarly there for you. And I think what I learned at Thatcher and what I've really kind of tried to stick to with this wine is when you're rushed, that's when you make mistakes. And so uh, 2021, we just had so much luxury to take our time and really think things out and plan out our week and fermentations and everything. And, and the resulting wine, I mean, I think this wine, the 2020 Slam Dance, it's a great first debut. I'm so happy with it. Um, it's really flamboyant right now and sort of in your face. It's almost exactly what I need for a you know, first debut wine. To roll out the curtains for it, yeah. Right. The, the 2021 wine is 1% alcohol higher with uh, dramatically lower pH, higher acidity. So it's like, it's the wine I really wanted to make in 2020. And I think that's a, like a 10, 20 year wine. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to see that wine. You know, it's funny when you talk about the freedom of being able to kind of stretch your shit out, take a deep breath during a vintage and 2021 offered you that it afforded you that when you guys are dealing with harvest, if you have something, whether it's heat, whether it's this room becomes an issue. Right. So when you don't have that concern and you could bring things in and have the space to kind of like, you know, stretch your stuff out and plan things out, it really helps you. Probably just your state of mind too. Right. And the way things work at Thatcher where Thatcher is my day job and that has to be my first consideration. And, you know, how do you balance like making your side project your secondary concern when in reality that's what's keeping you up at night is thinking about your side project because that's your heart that's, that's your everything yeah exactly and i'm so glad you put it like that that's so that's so real luckily my ideas about winemaking play very well with that and so when i when i you can't control picking you have to pick when you have to pick so that that happens but the way i make the wine so it, i ferment in old wooden vessels that I, you know, throw 85% whole clusters in, a little bit of D-stems on top, and then I seal those vessels, and I put them in the back of the barrel room, and I don't touch them for 10 days. So immediately when I pick, I know I have 10 days before I start working the wine. So I have 10 days to kind of prepare myself for the, you know, the rigors of fermentation and everything like that. Same thing, you know, I have to do my winemaking at night, and I, that means I have to press at night. And so it's not for a voodoo reason or anything like that, but the full moon in November is when I'll have the most light to, like, work by at night. So before harvest even starts, I will look it up and be like, okay, that's it. That's pressing day. No know? way. 
and you know it's it's a 50 day ferment on skins and stems before i get to pressing but and that'll become almost like a ritual a tradition yeah and we'll we'll wait for that november full moon and because i know exactly the date i can prepare all my vessels i can prepare my hoses make sure i have clean dry implements you know i'm not rushing last you know running around last minute uh you know, being frantic and, you know, making mistakes. What's the music we're playing when we're doing all this? Uh, I listen to one song on repeat. I love that. I do that often, dude. Yeah. Which Kanye West song is it? It's not Kanye. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this on radio. But... Go ahead. It's, there's no FCC. It's a podcast, okay, bro. Perfect. So it's a song by a, a post-hardcore band called Moss Icon. It's called I'm Back Sleeping or Fucking or Something. <laughs> And it's the heaviest four-minute song you will ever hear in your entire life. And I will listen to it for six hours straight while, while pressing, basically. And anything, racking, you know, stomping grapes. I have to pull my barrels apart, so I, you know, uh, I'm in the winery in the middle of the night hammering away at, at, at barrel hoops and recuperating barrels and everything like that. And this is like the driving song. Okay, just Googled it. YouTube it. That's it? Yeah. So this is what you will do all your cellar work to. Now, is this just your Thatcher stuff, or is this just the, this this is just the slam dance? Strictly slam dance. I mean... For like eight hours. What kind of music is it? Post, what do you call it? It's like post-hardcore. Like uh, What's post-hardcore mean? Uh, like hardcore was, you know, punk back in yeah, the okay. 80s, and this is sort of the immediate... Listen you know, to this. Generation. Are you just like... Rah, rah. Yeah. So it's funny because, uh, you know... This is really something I would never be... I would never know about this without you introducing me to this. Oh, it's a great tune. And it's is the it? heaviest slithering bass line you've ever heard in your life. Listen to the, wow. I feel like I'm getting a look inside your soul. Talk about little soul. Right. I'm getting so, a look at your Almita. Your Alamita, Alamita. <laughs> I love how Daniel positioned that things in Paso can move very fast. Yes. What do you think about just how Paso has kind of like evolved the way it has? As you obviously, you know, you went from being the assistant winemaker at Halter. You're the winemaker here at Alta Kalina. You're kicking ass here. You're really kind of like Daniel is doing a Thatcher, adding to the brand. They're really receptive to what you're about and adding, you know, adding skews to the brand because of you. Um, what do you think about the way that Paso is moving so quickly now? You know, I think I think that's what's needed, to be honest. I think we see all of these statistics of people drinking less and less wine and that, you know, millennials aren't drinking wine at the rate we need them to and that the people that are buying all these expensive wines are starting to die off. And I think that what's going to keep everybody interested are these fun, new, exciting projects. And I think that there's a place for everybody at the table. You know, I, I make really big, beautiful, lush Syrahs for my day job because that's what this vineyard site gives. And now for my side project, I'm making these light, fresh, fruity, low alcohol wines, you know, because partly it's what that vineyard site gives and it's what I want to drink. So that's what I'm going to craft. And, you know, I, there's people that will come and buy all bottles. So they buy Alta and then they still support me too. You know, I have friends that buy my wines and then they find Alta and start buying Alta Kalina wines. And so that's cool. I think there really is a place at the table for everyone, but I think that keeping it interesting and actually moving fast is, is going to be a good thing for us. I think more and more people are looking for something beyond just the Napa cab. And I'm not trying to speak bad on Napa because I have plenty of friends that work up there. Um, but people are looking for different things. How much was it a blessing to have Bob say, yeah, yeah, do your own thing. Oh, it was spread those wings. I mean, I, it was so nice. I never would, have, I, you know, I wanted to respect my employer first and foremost. And so I never would have, 
push to do this, you know, which again is why I never really asked or tried before, but knowing that he was in support of it. And then all of a sudden I found myself living on a property where we were farming it. And it was like, wow, I can't like everywhere I've worked, we've had a state vineyard. So I've been very lucky of having a lot of control from berry to bottle, but there's always, you know, there's different people in the way that have control. And then when you come to a wine, like for me, for little soul is all of a sudden, no, this is full berry to bottle. Like we are farming it. I could never afford to own a vineyard or own a winery. So this is the closest I will ever get to complete creative control and farming control over something. And how much of that is kind of a curse? I mean, now you're in it. You got your own thing. You're doing it. Yeah, we're enjoying it. It's a passion. We're fulfilling that dream. Yeah. But I mean, you got two little ones, one very, very, very little Dude, one. I have a 10 week old. Yeah. I mean, that's no joke. I know. Little Ziggy. Yeah. Is that his name? <laughs> yeah. His name's Ziggy that's Dean. That's the cutest thing ever. Little Ziggy. Yeah. I love it. Now you know you have to start a wine brand and name it after Ziggy. I know. I was like, shoot, now I got to yep. make like, I'm like, well, I have an oh, oh, Ziggito. <laughs> exactly. I got to figure something out. Have you ever like, oh my God, there needs to be, I need to like control C, control V, some <laughs> copy paste, some more mollies around here. I just, it's not enough um, for me to go around. Yeah. Most days I feel like that. Yeah. No, it's good. You know, I think as we were talking about the pet nut, sometimes you just like let things roll (laughs) and see how it goes. And that's kind of how a carbonic fermentation is as well. And um, to me, it's really fun because a lot of our wines we do, we craft, we put so much intention into them and they're in barrel for almost two years and in bottle for a year before release. And to me, it's really fun to have product that I can kind of start and finish and sell fast. Molly, if people want to learn more about Little Soul, how do they find out about you? Well, great question. <laughs> new brand, new processes. Um, <laughs> new brand, who dis? Exactly. Um, I actually have my website almost ready to launch, um, but we haven't hit the go button yet. So hopefully, if you're listening to this, you can check out Little Soul Wines dot com with an s otherwise you can find me on instagram that's really the best way right now little soul wines i'm gonna launch my release very very soon last year my rosé sold out in eight days and the carbon went in five weeks so it's probably i'm hoping and what's the price on the rosé they're both just gonna be flat thirty dollars each or three hundred a case you're gonna sell in a second you're gonna raise your prices the year after that right (laughs) i mean that's a steal that's a steal so if any Bonic is it's yeah. stupid good. Bang. It's epic. Oh my yeah. god, bang. It's the right, best way to put it. So if anybody is interested, yeah, hit me up on Instagram right now. Um, or you can also email me, Molly, M-O-L-L-Y, at altacalina.com. Again, my little soul wines will be ready soon if you're listening to this in a year. <laughs> well, go to Molly at littlesoulwines.com. Go to Alta Kalina. Check out what she's doing there. And they, I mean, They've been kicking ass for a long time. They're so lucky to have Molly. Molly's so lucky to be in an outfit like this. And I love when you see two people you love and they just like, you know, their talents and their visions marry. And I just think it's so cool that you're here. And I know they yeah. love you and you love them. And um, it's just awesome to have you here. Uh, website for Slam Dance Cooperative Wines. So there's no website. Uh, the best way to check out what I'm doing is just Instagram. Check out the day-to-day activities. and What's that handle? Uh, Slam Dance Cooperative Wines. With a K. With a K. Yeah. Co-op with a K. Yeah. yeah good luck on that. Slam yeah. Dance Coop. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you type in Slam Dance Coop. Uh, okay. There you go. Slam Dance Coop with a K. Great wines. Oh, cheers to both of you guys for just kicking ass. I love both of your unique brands and what you guys are doing for the brands at your day job. Thanks, guys, for sharing where wine takes you. Thank you. Thanks for having us on the show, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Give me that moonshine. We'll get by. We pass on down till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Fun conversation with both Molly Longborg and Daniel Callen. Thanks to both of them. And hopefully you have four brands now to dig into, including two brand new ones. Again, the name of those brands, Molly Longborg with Little Soul and Daniel Callen's Slam Dance Cooperative Wines. Fun show today. Looking forward to the next episode as well. We're going to be talking with Tin City's Brett Ernest of Levo. Also, Connor McMahon from Full Draw Vineyard. Both these guys, it's been a long time coming to have them on, so I'm really excited and glad we're able to make it happen. And that is our next episode. I'm pumped. 
Where Wine Takes You is executive produced by Joel Peterson and Paso Wine. Associate producer is Jen Bravo. The podcast is recorded, edited, and produced by yours truly. Equipment transport and technical consideration provided by Fly With Wine. Learn more, flywithwine.com. Original music, the song Good Company, performed by Moonshiner Collective. Check them out wherever you get your music and on moonshinercollective.com. Well, next time you are cruising up and down the Central Coast, you can tune me in on your radio, my morning show, Up and Adam in the Morning, weekday mornings on Wine Country Radio, The Crush 92.5. You can stream from the website crush925.com. We also got a free app right in your smartphone. Thank you so much for connecting with us here. I am your host, Adam Montiel. Until next time, grab a glass, fill it up with some Paso goodness. Cheers to that passion, that gig. Maybe you want to try on the side, whether it's to fill your piggy bank or your passion bank. Here's to exploring that along with where wine takes you. And give me that passion, we'll get by, we pass on down till the job is Camped out in the trees, it will simplify and good come. Give me that moonshine, we'll get by, we pass on down till the job is Camped out in the trees, it will simplify and good come. Give me that moonshine, we'll get by, we pass on down till the job is out in the trees, we will simplify in good company. With that moonshine, we'll get by. We pass on round till the job is dry. Camped out in the trees, we will simplify in good company.